please know that this episode contains a trigger warning regarding suicide. If this is something that will affect you, know that this discussion comes around the 38 minute mark. All right, let me get ah, get myself situated. Let me get started here. We're back. Welcome back, people, to another episode of Vulnerability Leads to Victory. Um, Man, we are getting to the second half of season one. Um, We've had some amazing stories and amazing guests and amazing tips that have been brought onto this show uh, thus far. And this week, there is nothing different. We have another great guest here. Um, This person here, um, I know, is going to um, be able to just give us some great insight into, you know, understanding uh, vulnerability, Um, just being able to kind of just tell their experience and um, just a part of their, their journey of life. But, you know, I just want to thank you all for listening thus far. I've been looking at the the numbers. I've been getting the reviews. And it has been a pleasure to see you all um, enjoying this podcast, which I hopefully is going to be uh, one of the podcasts that you just continue in your rotation and pass along to others. As always, I would love you if you like and subscribe. Go ahead. Not just the stars. Go ahead. Write a review. It's okay. Um, I would love the feedback. But again, back to this episode. Um, For this week, uh, we have a good friend of mine. Um, You know, this person I met years ago um, when they were an intern with the department that I was working with. uh, And definitely we got to, uh, you know, really grow and and develop a good uh, friendship together. And so when I was thinking about how I wanted to get a variety of people in this season, this first season of Vulnerability Leads to Victory, I knew that I wanted to have this person on here. This guest for this week, put your hands together, folks, is none other than my good buddy, Josh England. What's up, Josh? How you doing? How's it going? Thank you so much for the, the kind words and for having me on. I'm excited. Yes, yes, yes. So as I said, you know, um, we met when you were uh, an intern at the University of Florida in the housing department. Um, And so one of the cool things I think is, is not only have I been able to develop a good relationship with you, I also met your wife and um, was able to develop a good relationship with her at a um, a housing institute. Um, And so it's been cool to kind of see you all um, grow together over the years, but also kind of just continue um, my friendship with each of you all together, but individually as well. So, you know, so that's a little bit about how I see us knowing each other. From your perspective, how do we know each other? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, what's wild is what I was thinking about coming on and, and our relationship and how long we've known each other. You know, in some ways, Florida feel like yesterday. Mm. Uh, and I know as you get older, time seems like it just kind of like flies by, but it's been eight years this summer, Ooh. 
eight years. Uh, and that's, that's insane to me. Uh, just thinking about, you know, places where you spend moments in your life and how long I've been now in Charlotte. Um, it just seems like it was yesterday and it's been eight years, but yeah, I remember, um, I remember one of my fondest memories is you and I, we went to, I don't know, maybe what is it a wing house or some kind of wing place in Gainesville. Mm. And, uh, and I was all decked out in heat gear <laughs> and you were of course in your Chicago gear and you were just talking a bunch of smack to me and we weren't even playing each other. Oh, just, I remember this. You were so mad game. about LeBron and you were salty about him. And of, and of course we know where you stand on the LeBron MJ debate. And, uh, <laughs> and I just remember you giving me so much, so much slack about that. And uh, I just knew from there that we were going to be, we were going to be tight. And we, we spent a lot of time together um, that summer. Uh, we did lots of stuff, both at work and out of work. And, you know, you're one of the people that when I look back on my time at, at Florida, that really made it special. So I'm, uh, I'm thankful to, to be a part of your life still and, and to be here talking with you today. Yeah, no, I, man, I definitely am glad to have you on. I definitely remember that um, because we also, that was also um, one of the, I think that might have been um, Spurs Heat part one uh it was yes that was the the year of the the ray allen uh shot after the missed rebound by the spurs and so um i remember that year yeah it was me you and uh dan leffer that were had went out a couple times watch games and different things like that and um yeah i think the place was wing house and i think they just closed um recently so what a sad day i know i know but <laughs> so many great memories yes 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 but definitely definitely some uh great memories that uh we were able to you know have there and and, and back then and so you know as you say you're in charlotte i am still here in gainesville coming upon uh 10 calendar years here and it's it's been good um, over the time because, uh, as always, no matter where you are, you have some moments that you're not too fond of. But definitely when I think back to those years when I think you were, what, intern 2K14 or some yeah, 2K13, uh, something like yeah, that. Yeah, 2K13. And so, yeah, back during those times uh, when you were one of our interns. and um, But it was it was cool because, I, like you said, I was able, we were able to develop a good friendship. So, so yeah. So knowing this is called uh, Vulnerability Leads to Victory, um, you know, just talk to me a little bit about, about what was your interest in, in terms of wanting to be on the podcast or doing this podcast? Yeah, you know, I, uh, I typically uh, consume media, podcasts, music, um, you know, shows, whatever, that, that more of an escape for me. And I, uh, you know, surprising or not, uh, to you, to the, to the listeners, I'm not always the person that's really, uh, really desiring to talk about my, my feelings or, or whatever. Like I, internally I can process all of that, but I don't typically process that externally. Mm. The one area that I would say I do 
is vulnerability. And I didn't really think about it that much until really I started you uh, sort of kind of promoting and talking to me about what this was going to be like. I started thinking like, you know what? Vulnerability is the thing that I'm comfortable talking about. Um, hmm. And and not even, you know, I don't go like, let's talk about vulnerability, but being vulnerable is something that I feel pretty comfortable with. And I didn't really realize until I was kind of prepping for this is really been a big part of my life for the past 10, 15 years. And so um, also shamelessly, I've always wanted to be on a podcast. So, <laughs> um, you know, those two things kind of lined up for me and uh, I just felt like it would be a good time to come and talk and share my story and hopefully it could resonate with somebody and help somebody through a tough time or, or through some difficulties. So. Definitely. Definitely. That's good. I, I think, as you say, like you've noticed how vulnerability has been a, a big part of your life and, and something that you are comfortable with, you know, talking through and talking about. And I think that's, you know, one thing not to, you know, get too much into a gender stereotype, but, you know, I think sometimes is, you know, people that would identify along the spectrum of, you know, male, like it is, one of those things that people would say like, oh, men or males don't necessarily get into vulnerability, you know? And I think part of it is because there's a lack of understanding of it, but I think also it's when it comes to the aspect of masculinity, I think, and how that is associated with males or men that affects us some. So it's it's good to, you know, that you have been able to say, like, have been able to see how vulnerability has um, been able to help you in your journey of life. And um, it's been something that you have grown comfortable with navigating. So, so yeah. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes, too, for me, it's, you know, I'm willing to share what's on my mind or how I feel, but I can't really explain it myself. Mm. And so that for me sometimes becomes the barrier for conversation. Like my wife and I, if we're ever having some kind of disagreement or we're just not on the same page, or I may be getting frustrated by something she is or isn't doing, you know, I can sometimes feel that it's unfair to her because I can't describe, not because I don't want to, but I just can't, put together the words to describe why I'm frustrated without seeming like I'm losing it. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm willing to put it all out there, but I have trouble understanding. So hopefully even this conversation will help me in that, uh, in that understanding piece. Definitely. Definitely. So there we go. That's why he's here. All righty. So we we just talked about understanding some, and, and with understanding, usually definitions help uh, with that. And so, uh, you know, as I always say in each episode, the definition that I put out there for uh, vulnerability or vulnerable or being vulnerable is um, allowing yourself the opportunity to truly be in the state where you are. Again, allowing yourself the opportunity to truly be in the state where you are, will it, that state being mentally, physically, emotionally, um, spiritually, you know. Um, so that's just the definition that I have put out there. But Josh, like 
for you, what is your definition of vulnerability or vulnerable? Or what are words or phrases that come to mind when you, you hear that? Yeah, I, you know, I think my definition is somewhat similar uh, to, to kind of what you just described. You know, I, I kind of wrote some notes earlier as I was thinking through it. And the words that, I, that kind of came to mind were honesty um, honesty with others and with yourself. Uh, I think a lot of times when we think about being vulnerable, we think about giving ourselves to others, uh, but we don't always think about vulnerability as being vulnerable with ourselves and being honest with ourselves and thinking about, you know, uh, is this going to make me happy or what is happening internally that's stopping me from being open or, accepting this criticism or, um, you know, earlier I got in a little bit of a spat with my friends cause they were ribbing me about something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and typically that doesn't bother me. You know, we have a joking relationship like that, but I felt like in that moment I was very defensive and I, you know, part of that for me was being like, okay, what, what's wrong with you? You can't place this blame, on, on everyone else all the time, you know, what is causing you to manifest whatever insecurity it is or uh, whatever it is into frustration at people mm. that you know care about you. So for me, vulnerability is it's just as important to be vulnerable with others so they can understand your story and where you come from and it can build those bridges. But if you're also not vulnerable to yourself, you can't build those bridges with yourself or with others. No, that works. That was my alarm in the background, you know, alarms these days. Uh, So, no, that's a good uh, definition um, there. And I I really like how you, you know, really express that um, others and self. Like, I think it's the understanding of you can, you know, reach out. To others, I think it, it comes from the the aspect of as well. One of the things you were as you were talking, I was thinking about is that concept of like you can't pour from an empty cup, and that you know you can talk to others about you know being vulnerable and the importance of it. But if you haven't done it yourself, like someone gets easy, like, well, what's it look like? And you're like, um. So I, I, yeah, I like that others and, and self, um, you know, how they pair up with each other. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I'll talk a little bit about it, you know, kind of throughout this, this, this podcast, but that was part of my revelation when I was kind of going down this path. And I don't even know that I had put the word vulnerability on what I was doing, but realizing that, you know, you can't, you can't seclude yourself and then expect to be able to be open to others. Mm, that's good. That's good. I'm not even going to add to that. That's good. I don't like it just like that. So, yeah. All righty. So, um, you know, with vulnerability, I think, you know, we we all have a, a journey that we are navigating through when it comes to to vulnerability. And so I think, you know, um, we we all have a lane that we are staying in uh, when it comes to, to vulnerability. And 
ultimately we want to we want to get to we want to get to victory we want to get to victory lane and so I, I know you appreciate that reference being a NASCAR uh, fan but you know ultimately at the end of the day like talk to us about um, your journey of vulnerability leading to victory and the growth that you've had through through your journey of vulnerability yeah you know I, I wanted to start by saying that I I don't in any way think that I'm you know, in victory lane, being doused with beers, <laughs> with checkered flags, <laughs> waving, you know, um, you know, I, I think if you're successful, it kind of always feels like the white flag, which is mm. one lap to go. Like you're there, you can see the finish line, but there's still a little bit of work to do. Um, so I'll preface that by saying, like, I don't think that what I'm saying is, uh, you know, the end all be all of the path to victory or that I have it all figured out. Um, But I do, especially reflecting back in preparation for this episode, I do feel like I've made a lot of progress. Like I've run a lot of the race. Um, and, And that feels really good to actually reflect back on and think about where I was. You know, like I kind of wanted to start with high school which I know is long way away, uh, longer than I want to admit that it was. Um, but, you know, I talked a little bit earlier about some of my current friends and the way that my insecurities, even today, I mean, literally today, we were having a conversation about this. And these are people that I've previously, they've gotten married in the past two years, each of them. And I've been the groomsman in their wedding in the past two years. And I still had these insecurities that um, that were kind of getting in the way of our relationship. And so, again, not there, but working. But I was in high school. I had a lot of stuff going on personally that I didn't share. Um, and, you know, part of that is not understanding it. You know, I think it took getting older, graduating from high school, getting into college, graduating from college, um, meeting my wife, exploring that relationship, uh, seeing maybe other healthy, familiar relationships to understand where some disconnects were. But, um, and without getting too in depth, you know, um, things that I maybe blocked out or didn't realize from maybe even from middle school was that my parents' relationship wasn't great. Um, my dad wasn't really present. He was maybe physically in the house Mm. or in the yard or whatever, but he wasn't really there. And he had been previously, but he shut himself off. Um, And then with that came my assumption and later my, um, not assurance, but um, some vindication that I was right, that he had been into drugs and some other things. And all those things are happening kind of behind the scenes. And he's very controlling about my life, what I do. You know, when I was uh, 16, I got my first car and I started working as a bus boy right next to my house. And I would come home, I would get off of school, get in my car, come home, change clothes, go right into being a bus boy five days a week. Um, come home at 11 p.m., do my homework, go to sleep at 1, get up at 6, go back to school, do it all over again. 
And, and that was on the fact that we didn't have a ton of money. Um, but also it was this version that my dad had of me of who I should be and what I should be doing. And if I wasn't at my job, I was expected to be home and helping him do things around the house. And so it kind of did two things It one separated me from a social life for years mm-hmm. and two made me really resent him. Um, especially as my mom and dad's relationship finally broke and they, they never truly got divorced, but for all intents and purposes were divorced. And when that happened, it was my senior year and I was finally able to do what I wanted mm. in a relatively, you know, I'm, I was still like, I'm not going to drink and <laughs> I'm going to smoke cigarettes and all these other things my friends were trying but I was able to go to their house and hang out and and not rush home directly after school. And that was a newfound freedom. But with that were years of not working through what I realized now was some maybe some abuse, some emotional abuse, some some trauma from from what had been happening. You know, my mom would come to me sobbing, crying when I was 12, 13 years old because she had nobody else to talk to. Mm-hmm. And she would come to me to vent about how she was feeling about my father. And so, so she was obviously being vulnerable and maybe showcasing that vulnerability, but I had real no clue what was happening or how to process that. Mm-hmm. And I got into high school and in the moment I was very defensive and a little bit more like, why is, why is this me? Why is this happening to me? But my friendships, a lot of them from high school deteriorated. You know, I had friends that were really close that we had plans to go to college together. Um, but I, but I couldn't take anything that made me feel less than. So if there was a joke at my expense or, um, if I wasn't the first person invited to something, um, you know, those kind of insecurities that made me think like, I'm not good enough. I know came from somewhere else, but, you know, manifested themselves in a way where I, I mean, eventually kind of imploded some relationships and, and some of it is on them and some of it's on me. Um, but I knew that was happening, but I didn't know why. So you know, fast forward to college and things were still kind of tough. And I joined a fraternity a couple weeks into school. And then, and then that organization got shut down um, for some underage drinking things and stuff. And so this group of people that I thought I was going to have to connect to and have a group to be with kind of weren't there and, and mm-hmm. in some ways were there. Um, my roommate was a friend from high school, but he was dating somebody from back home. So he drove five hours every Thursday night and then didn't have school or didn't have class until Tuesday. So from Thursday to Tuesday, he was gone. So I still struggled with that, you know, and then as maybe some depression creeped in looking back or as maybe some just you know, feeling it wasn't 
good enough. I decided that I was going to, okay, I'm just going to be positive, like about everything. Like everything has a positive. I'm just going to see the positive because I can't keep living in this negative. And that worked for a little bit. Um, but there's always something, you know, kind of pulling me back or stopping mm-hmm. me from immediately being positive or, or really living, which is my kind of main goal in life is to live congruently with right. who I say I am and who I am. And there was something still holding me back. And what I now know that is I never put a word to it. Uh, and maybe I don't know that I put a word to it until you reached out with the word mm. being vulnerability. Um, mm. I would have probably described it as just openness, which can be the same thing. Um, but it's maybe a little bit less, less fancy <laughs> of a word, but you know, I, you know, circling back with my father, I hadn't talked to him in a year and he kind of out of the blue, uh, I think I went home for spring break my freshman year and I had decided I was going to move out of the on-campus residence hall and move into an apartment with some of my fraternity brothers. And I had a bunch of stuff that I needed to move up and, and all that. And I ended up talking to my dad when I was home and things were still kind of on a rough patch. We hadn't really talked much. We talked maybe three times in like a year and a half. And I realized that, you know, I, he, he was immediately willing to drop what he was doing and help he was still kind of a jerk about it, right? Like he was still mm-hmm. kind of like, he always had this way of making me feel like he really wanted to help me, but I was also a burden, which is a really tough thing. Like I have this unbounding love for you, son, but also remember what I'm doing for you. Mm-hmm. And that was always tough to, to navigate, but with that, it came, hey, I'm starting to date uh, a high school flame that lives in Pensacola, where I was going to school. Mm-hmm. And I'm moving to Pensacola. <laughs> uh, and so for me, I went from not seeing him for a year and a half to him living 15 minutes away from me. Oh, wow. And it was kind of a fork in the road thing where I can continue this rough path or I can try to reconcile uh, with him. And the reconciling piece was on and off for, for years. And I started dating my wife, my sophomore year of college and kind of let her know like how things are. They're not great, but he lives locally. And so I try to see him and, you know, and even with those trying to see him, it was like, hey, you see me every Friday for a month. Um, why aren't you seeing me on Saturdays? I'm like, well, dad, I've got class and I've got these organizations and I work 40 hours a week and I'm giving up a lot of things to see you. And there was never really um, true acceptance. Like it was never good enough. Like, like seeing you is great, but you still don't care about me because I'm not the first thing you think of when you wake up. Mm. And 
I know I'm not to the vulnerability piece yet, but I feel like some of the context is, is maybe helpful. So like I got to a point where I was tired of it. And I remember kind of pretty distinctly where I was even walking, but um, he had, he'd been working at a bingo hall, like right near campus. And it was actually pretty fun because we'd go and he was always in a great mood and he'd buy us bingo cards and we'd go. And if we want anything, we got to keep it. So sometimes we'd walk out of there with like 300 bucks, which as a co- I mean, even as an adult <laughs> is <laughs> a nice little surprise chunk of change. And so we'd have a lot of fun, but there was always this lingering thing between us. Mm. This kind of unspoken thing that we never, we never broke down. And I knew that he wouldn't do it in a productive way because he had, he had poked and prodded. And for as long as I could remember, had talked about, um, you know, how I didn't love him and um, no one could really love me because I couldn't show people love, which I knew wasn't true. And it was him deflecting, but it's hard to take when you're 13 years old and it's still hard to take when you're 18, 19, 20. Mm-hmm. Um, but I finally got to a, almost a breaking point. And, um, and I knew that my life was going in, a, in an upwards direction. I had broken free from a small town. I had found my voice and leadership in my organizations on campus. I, at that point, knew I wanted to go into higher education. Um, and so I kind of had, you know, maybe a, a path in my life that I wanted to follow. And it just kind of got to a point, and it sounds mean or, or tough to say, but where he had to be with me or he was out. Mm. I couldn't keep this baggage forever. And it wasn't just me. It was my mom and my sister, but my sister is five years younger. So she was nowhere near a point, you know, like I was to, she, she had feelings, but couldn't maybe work through them. Mm. And my mom was just so traumatized from the 10 years of, of horror that she had in, in the, in the marriage that she couldn't process either. And so no one had ever really told him. He had kind of always held that power of, mm. of uh, looking down on you and, and looming down. And it felt like a looming presence. Like it, we'd go get dinner with them. And, you know, he made a dinner one time and he's like, does anybody not like anything? And Colby was like, I don't like mayonnaise. It makes me gag. And he slathered mayonnaise all over her sandwich. And then, and then she was like, do I say something or not? And so she quietly tried to change the bread and then he saw it and it became this big thing of like, like it wasn't like, you don't appreciate me, but it was like a, it was always like a, like a, woe is me? Like a, Mm. Oh, I can just never do anything. Right. And it's not, good enough and it wasn't like uh you're bad like colby you're wrong it was like oh here i am screwing things up again and that's not what i needed from my dad yeah you know especially in front of my partner yeah yeah. so it was was lots of things that had led up but he left me a voicemail basically berating me because i had to cancel plans we had 
for the weekend. I had seen them the previous weekend and I had plans for the following weekend, but I had to cancel. I think I had some fraternity retreat or some leadership retreat or something. And I just called him back and let him have it and dumped probably 10 years of repressed feelings on his voicemail. And I felt this instant relief. Mm. Like I had finally gotten it off my back and I was at a point where I didn't care if he never talked to me again. Okay. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's the most helpful way to start your path to vulnerability, but I just felt like I had to say something while I felt brave enough to do it and maybe blocked out what the consequences might be. And, and thankfully for me, and I think I somewhat knew that that was going to be the only way to get to him, but it got to him. Okay. The fact that I was willing to be so upfront as his son about what he had put me through, I don't think he realized it. And so that led us down a path to redemption for the two of us in our relationship. It didn't work out. Um, and and I'll I'll get kind of more to that, but that moment, it even we talked at the beginning of this, and I said I didn't have a moment, but maybe that was that moment, mm-hmm. and maybe I'm just now realizing as we're talking. Um, but from there, I felt like I could finally just tell people things mm-hmm. because it wasn't that bad, you know. I led into my dad, and I was petrified of him Mm. uh and if i could tell him exactly how i felt i could tell anybody and so that kind of just led me down this path and and i don't know that there's a direct path i took from there but you know from there i feel like i just steadily was able to more and more and more just tell people things mm. and and maybe now i'm at a point where it's overshare like uh maybe i miss a couple of social cues but i'm talking to people and i'm like hey here's my whole life story <laughs> um but i also find when i meet new people you know and if we get really into a conversation i'm an open book and you know, in some ways that's vulnerability, in some ways it's not, but I like to think of it as because I'm an open book, people feel like they can be open with me or at the very least, even if they're not, I don't, like I'm not telling you all about my life for you to tell me all about yours, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm telling you about what I experienced and being pretty open about it because I hope that it makes me more accessible and makes you feel more comfortable in our conversation and developing a friendship, you know, I've had one-off conversations with people where I just kind of spilled my life. And then the next day, you know, I get an email from them, like a conference or, or a friend that I never really opened up to. And they say like, Hey, some of the things that you talked about are things that I've been struggling with or, or things that I wish I was, I won't say brave, but, um, maybe their words brave mm. enough to enough to say or to do. And so I think 
I, I think that's kind of where I just, I, I became congruent with myself. The person that I said I wanted to be as a positive person who sees uh, the good in things. Yeah. I was able to do that because I was able to speak the negative and say, here's what's been bad. But I can also on the same tongue say, here's what's been good. And maybe because of what's been bad. Yeah. You know, like I, I, my relationship with my wife and maybe the reason that I was so attracted to her and, and found the idea of spending my life with her so enticing was because in a lot of ways she represented who I wanted to be, but she also represented a departure from the things that I didn't like. And I don't know that I would have been able to find that person that's congruent with my values if I wasn't able to break down at some point yeah. and speak that. No, that's good. That's good. Man, like, first off, man, thank you for sharing. Like, just hearing, you know, um, just hearing that that journey um, is really one of the ones, like, to see all the different, like, stops you, you've had along the, the way. I really see like the the growth is one of the first things I just want to say outside of thank you is I really see the growth um, in you from just you you telling about that journey and speaking on it um, and so yeah like you you that's rich that is rich there and so I hope you all were you know were listening through there because even through that. Um, We'll get to talking about, you know, as you all know, we get to talking about tips um, in a second. But really just there are some things even in there you can pull some different tips and and tidbits out um, and just different ways to kind of even educate yourself on understanding what vulnerability um, can look like in so many different ways. Because even as you talked about kind of just over the years, understanding yourself, like I think that's one of the key things I I got out of. you you just talking and telling your journey is this understanding of self and this realizing of of who you are and what what does this look like you know for you and going back as you say with high school and with you know your early college years and to you know being in that close proximity with your dad and to now like and your relationship in the beginning stages of you know your relationship with your wife like you can see so much just growth and 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 trying to understand how do I define myself in this moment in this season of my life so that's something that's that's definitely huge yeah you know and it's you know the ongoing piece is um is what's so critical right like the part of the story that I didn't get to is uh, and uh, trigger warning. I don't know. We can cut this out if you don't if you don't want to keep this. But uh, my dad ended up taking his life mm-hmm. uh, about four years ago, and uh, and and there was a variety of reasons. Um, it's speculative because there was no real. 
message left behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but given context of things that had happened um, and where he was in his headspace and, um, you know, there were, th- those signs had been on the wall since I was a teenager. Um, you know, I can remember thinking as a teenager that maybe he was suicidal and not really noticing the severity of that. And then, you know, flash forward a couple months before that happened, you know, there was a, there was a scare where he, where he told us he was going to do it Mm. and we intervened. And I don't know if he actually had plans to do that or not, but you know, there was in that, so you know, I graduated college in, in 2012 and we were at a decent place then. Like he came to my graduation. We felt good. Um, I moved to Louisiana to get my master's. And again, we just kind of fell off on the conversation piece and attempts to like connect just weren't coming through. And he was struggling in his personal relationships and his work and, um, you know, he came for my graduation with my master's and it was almost like he didn't, I almost, I said, I feel bad saying this, but I almost wish he didn't come mm. uh, because he was just in such a negative headspace. I mean, he spent four hours in the bathroom uh, on like the day before my graduation, we were supposed to go watch a movie as a family and then go get dinner and we ended up missing the movies and being late to dinner because he just basically barricaded himself in a room. And we knew he was struggling, but he refused help and he refused to talk about it and just said that he had some indigestion or whatever. And, you know, selfishly at that point, I felt like I had done so much work and he just refused to hold up his end of the bargain. You know, I was, I was talking to my wife about it tonight and what I was going to say and, and what I was just kind of working through what I was going to talk to you about. And she said something to the effect of you gave him way more opportunities to be a part of your life than most people would have ever given. Mm. And I just felt like I also have this thing where I want everyone to like me and that, that also kind of carries over into my relationships, family and kids and wife and whatever. But I just, I knew even then that if, and when he died, I would have felt bad if I didn't do everything I could to give him the chance to be in my life. Yeah. I knew that he was going to keep pushing. It was going to be difficult and it wasn't always going to be clean, but I would, I wouldn't forgive myself if I didn't give him that chance. And so I kept giving him opportunities and my sister more or less wrote him off. And my mom more or less wrote him off. I mean, she, she took him in, um, in the, in the months leading up to his death. Um, didn't, didn't really want to. And, and my sister and I told her, I don't think you should have taken him in. Like he's got to learn from his mistakes, but she took him in. And I, I, think that was in part to how committed I was to include him. Mm. You know, he would give me every reason to say, 
you're out of my life. Yeah. You know, we drove with our son who was three or four months at the time for Christmas down to visit. We were there for seven days and he couldn't make it make time to come see us. And it wasn't until the very last day we were leaving at 7 a.m., 6 a.m. next morning. We're like, hey, we're going to do a Christmas dinner together before we leave. We'd love for you to come. We had dinner ready at 4, 4.30. He didn't show up till 9.30. Mm. He had so much, <clears throat> so much fun with my son in the two hours that he was there. And I think he realized how enjoyable that could be. Yeah. The next year we came back down and it was a lot of work for us to drive 10, 11 hours from North Carolina to Florida with a young child when my mom and sister were more than willing to come up to see us. But we did it because we knew that it was his only chance to see his grandson. And I just couldn't take that away from him. And then that year he didn't come. Mm. And then he didn't come at all. He said he was sick and didn't want to get our son sick and said he would never forgive himself. And I said, I can deal with my son having a cold if it means he gets to see his grandpa. And it was about five months later when he took his life. And so, you know, looking back, obviously, there's a lot of signs there. Um, but I guess my larger point of the vulnerability piece of this is that, you know, I never gave up on him. Yeah. And even up until the day he died, I still never gave up. I texted him, you know, a couple days before he died and just, I would just got in a habit of every Wednesday, I would text him and tell him I loved him. And sometimes he would respond and sometimes he wouldn't. And sometimes you'd go months without responding, but every Wednesday I would text him. And it was just my way of saying, Hey, I'm going to be here for you. I just need you to open up. I just, I just need you to be there for me. And it didn't, and it, and it didn't work. And I, you can't assume that your vulnerability is going to lead to somebody else's vulnerability. Yeah. Uh, and that, and it clearly didn't work there, but where it did work. And I didn't realize this until recently, really, again, that can thank my, my wife for <laughs> her wonderful insight is that she pointed out that I, we would have never survived as a family. My mom, my sister and I, in the days following his death and in the years since if I hadn't done that work of being vulnerable yeah, because it opened the door for my sister and my mom to feel like they could be honest about how they were feeling with me for so long as a family, we just bottled up our emotions and we just all had these issues with him and it permeated every conversation. But, it was just the elephant in the room and we would never talk about it. And in the days following his death, we were able to put into words how we felt yeah. anger. My sister was a month from graduating college mm. and was expecting to see him there when she got her diploma, you know, anger, anger that he wasn't going to see uh, my grandkids weren't going to see him, you know, like, like my children weren't going to know their grandfather you know, anger that he could be so selfish, even in, I know that it's selfish of me to say that he was being so selfish, but in that moment, there's just anger there. And that anger turns into grief mm -hmm. and it turns into confusion. And 
we were able to process that as a family. And to this day, you know, on the anniversary of his death or his birthday, you know, we do things to kind of memorialize him, but we're able to be at a kitchen table when we're all together and not just about him, but really about anything. You know, my mom, um, my father would have, would have, I probably would have defriended him on Facebook. If he was still alive, he would have been very much in this uh, right wing militia mindset of, um, of everyone's coming for me and everyone's taking away everything from me. And with my own personal beliefs, I would have struggled with that. And my mom had in a way been not brainwashed by that, but has only known a certain worldview from where she lives in a specific area of the country. And we feel so comfortable and open that I can call her out and it's doesn't, there's no buckling from her. There's no, um, there's no like, why would you say this? It's like a, Hey, we've been through so much and we've been so honest about how we felt that we know we're just here to build each other up. Yeah. And so that's my, if I could say my victory, the, the leading to victory uh, or the white flag lap, you know, the last lap is maybe that doing that and role modeling that has led to betterment in my other relationships. Mm. We've been able to, to role model that for our children, our children, there's not a single thing that's off topic for them to come to us about. Mm. You know, they, there's a picture of my dad hanging on the wall and they ask why they never met him. And, uh, we told him that, you know, his brain was sick and that he couldn't survive from that. And it's, it's tough to explain suicide to a child, uh, but they understand that. And now they have this kind of a sense of pride that their grandfather's on the wall. They didn't get to really meet him, but you know, they see who I am and maybe that's a reflection of him. Yeah. And so we've been able to set up this environment with our own children. That's you can come to us with anything and we are never going to make you feel like it was a dumb question or this is off limits or, or, or anything like that. And, and I think that stems in our family from uh, from that piece. And, and my wife was central in that time frame when I was really building up that relationship with my father, we did that together. And that has led us as a couple to be able to have really tough conversations with each other and our families mm-hmm. individually and our, and our children. And if it doesn't feel like we have to search for it, like it's just our first instinct. Um, and, and to me, that's a victory. Definitely. No, I, man, you, Josh, I just, again, like, thank you, man. Cause I, I think one of the, I think what you're, what I, what I can tell with this story and how it's going to the, help people is understanding that by expressing a vulnerability, allowing yourself to be vulnerable, like vulnerable, like you are, able to build a bridge even for others 
Like, I think for you, like you've been able to use this to kind of help you, you know, continue to walk this path. But as you talked about kind of, you know, after, um, you know, after you're dead, like and everything that happened there, like it, it is one of those things where the way if you hadn't done the things that you had did in your relationship with him, it wouldn't like they the the way your your mom and your sister took that like that that helped in some ways that was that bridge for them and so you're still walking the path but you know you have built this bridge as allowing them to cross over into you know getting to that path uh, of vulnerability and the other thing that I think about is as you've been talking um, has been really this uh, bursting of the bubble like I think about even last summer with the NBA bubble. And one of the things that came up was about people's like, you know, just their mental health journey and understanding that, you know, you're in these confines where you can't go, you know, any, you can't, it's not about that you just can't go certain places, but it's also that you're confronted every day with so many different things. And I think as you were talking, like, you know, it has been about, I've heard the things of that you've been confronted with, whether it's going back to high school and different insecurities and different things or, you know, with being in college and the relationship, you know, with your with your dad. And finally, like when you got that voicemail and you responded, it was a releasing of the pressure and bursting of the bubble. Like you everything. And I think that's the thing is that the things are still there that need to be addressed, but it's not that same like pressure pushing down on some ways. And so I think that's something that, you know, as as for the listeners, like, you know, keep that in mind. Like, you know, this is an opportunity to build bridges, but it's also remembering that some of these moments are a releasing of the pressure because with anything, if you let the pressure build up, at some point it's going to to burst, oh, it's going to burst. It's going to push itself out. And so when it does, how do you take that moment and educate yourself and and grow in that moment? So, yeah. Yeah. I, I think the message, or, or you, that's what you're kind of alluding to, is the message that comes from that burst. You know, for my dad, when I left him that message, it was, you know, here's all the things that or ways that I felt that you don't love or care about me or that you've been selfish. There's probably like, a, how dare you? You know, uh, hmm. I, I, I probably, I probably got a little, uh, I probably said some words to him that I would have never imagined saying before to him. Um, but there's other ways too, like in the days after his death, you know, I posted a post to Facebook, which is not, you know, an uncommon thing, especially, uh, with millennials and zennials. And, you know, we, we kind of live our lives in this social platform. Um, but my message, I was, I wanted to be very clear was this is what happened uh, I'm not just going to say that he passed away and that people speculate. I want you to know that he could tell a funny story. He was one of the funniest people I ever met. 
-hmm. was one of the most hardest working people I ever met. And I know that deep down he cared for his family, even if he didn't know the ways to show it. But he was also very depressed. And there had been writings on the wall for a decade. Um, And in ways I tried to help and in ways I couldn't. But don't be afraid to reach out to that person or to um, to express how you feel to somebody because it could be the simplest thing of saying, hey, I love you, uh, yeah. that keeps somebody alive. Um, and so in that, that, in that way, that's another piece of vulnerability is getting that bubble burst and get that message out. But can you use that message to also help others navigate something similar? Because they may say, you know, I had a lot of comments on that post that were like, Hey, you know, obviously I'm really sorry to hear about your father, but I also really wanted to say thank you because, and and I had 10 or 15 people that self-identified suicide in their family that had Mm. not really spoken about it before but they felt like they finally could talk to somebody. Yeah. And so sometimes your, your pain or your tragedy can also help other people. Definitely. Definitely. So you, you, you are being a light. This is a podcast where you are being a light. Um, And I say that in a way of like, you know, vulnerability. And like, I think there's a lot of things that comes with vulnerability where it's being in this kind of dark or dim place. And I think, as you said, like you expressing it end up being like a you open the blinds for other people to see like, wait a second. Now that I there's some light in here, I can see things that I may not have been seeing before or I can see something in a way of I if you're able to do it and I respect you as an individual, I appreciate you, then maybe this is something that I can do. So, so definitely. So as we move along here, um, you know, usually the next part is like where we talk about tips and you have given a lot of great tips, even just through telling your story. So, but I do want to give you the opportunity of, are there any like very just, if someone's like, this is the part of the podcast I'm listening to, you know, about the tips um, this is what I look forward to. Are there any like just very tangible tips that you want to give uh, the listeners? Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing or maybe a couple of the biggest things to me are um, you've got to get comfortable being uncomfortable Um you know, I, that's probably a cliche thing. And I think it's said a lot, especially like in our student affairs circles, mm-hmm. um, you know, when we're talking about getting RAs into training, like, but I don't, I don't mean it in this sense of like someone says something to you and you don't know if you agree with it or you maybe feel kind of personally attacked, but if you're really going to work on yourself, these conversations have to happen with yourself. And you've got to be maybe a little uncomfortable with yourself, which I think is a little bit different than, you know, being in a one-on-one conversation and we disagree and it's uncomfortable. 
this is more of an internal, like you've got to really figure out how you want your life to be. And if you want it to be congruent, you know, that's where you've got to kind of look and say, where am I holding things back? Where have I not really been honest with myself? Um, and, and where could I improve on that? For, for me, it's been being vocal about how I feel. Um, and I realize that's not the comfort zone for everybody. Yeah. So find that outlet for me. Um, I've been able to, I mean, even just in this conversation, I've come to some revelations that I don't know that I realize. And for me, I'm an external processor. You can mm. tell by the length of this podcast that, <laughs> that I don't, I, that I, I kind of process through my words and through talking and some things I don't even think of. And so I've already started sort of speaking for others. It may be poetry or art mm. or music. Not even necessarily creating, but you know, I'm the kind of person that I have the I have Apple Music and I have the lyrics button all the way up. I don't know if you have mm. Apple Music, but it like scrolls the lyrics as the song's playing. Yeah. And the most like impactful music to me is music that has words behind its lyrics that I can apply to my life. So so find those things and find those ways you can relate to the world. Um, because you, you got to do the work internally, but then you've got to be able to find a way to connect your authentic self mm -hmm. to the world uh, and ground yourself in some reality. Uh, I think that's the only way to really, truly like create vulnerability mm. um, is, is to be connected to something else in a way that's personal to you. And so for me, it's one-on-one -on -one conversations and a, a bunch of other things, but it may not be that for everybody. Um, and then, you know, um, we, again, earlier I was talking to my wife and we were, I was kind of talking through what I was going to say. And she kept saying, she's like, well, you're leaning a little bit more towards forgiveness in what you're telling me. Mm. And I, I was, and forgiveness and vulnerability are, are not the same thing. But if you're vulnerable, forgiveness can come. So if you're struggling, if you want to forgive someone or something or yourself, you, you can't do that if you're not vulnerable, yeah. if you're not willing to point out what went wrong, why it went wrong, what you're going to do to remedy that in the future, mm. um, how you're going to continue to better yourself or better your relationship with others, then forgiveness can come. You know, I, I had, uh, e even up until his death and post his death had forgiven my dad for, for what had happened. And in the darkest days when my sister would say, I'm just done with them. I'd say, we can't give up on them. Mm. Um, and you know, I think that comes from, again, that really just being true to yourself and being honest with yourself. Um, so I, I think those are the things, but I, I think it's the, the larger piece of that is it's on your time, right? Like, like, you know, my journey we're talking about started when I was 13 
and I'm 31 now and still mm. trying to figure it out. Um, I still can't be fully vulnerable with my wife when we get into an argument about something trivial. And I still sometimes can't just be truly honest with her, maybe because I can't put it into words or, or I haven't been able to process it myself, but give yourself grace. Yeah. Give yourself grace to figure it out. And if it's in bite-sized portions for me, it's just word vomit for me. It's like, I think I went from like zero to 60. Like I went from like (laughs) bottling everything up to like telling everybody everything. And that worked for me. There were some bumps along the road, but do it at your pace and give yourself grace, not just in your vulnerability journey, but just in life. Life is tough. You know, we live in maybe the most divided time in recent memory, Mm. Uh, certainly of, you know, talking millennials or zennials in in our lifetime, you know, we're at a point where it's really easy to see the negative in things. Yeah. Um, And it's not so easy to see the positive or the ways that we can make positive impacts. It may feel just drowning. So give yourself grace and, and those things will come. But if you don't love yourself, if you don't, give yourself grace. If you're not true to yourself, you can't do those things or be those things to other people. Yeah. And, and that's what creates true authentic relationships. So no. hopefully, hopefully those are helpful. No, those are, those are some really good tips, especially like our forgiveness and grace. Like I think a lot of times for people look at forgiveness as being about the other person when really it is, like it's for you. Like there's so much that if you know you've forgiven somebody, um, and you know you've forgiven yourself for any actions that you may have done that contributed to a situation, like you know, uh, with with those as like those are things that are you know either or both and like when you're in that mindset, um, and as you talked about, and you give yourself grace and and grace is present throughout. It, it is truly a re- refreshing opportunity to see true growth, um, to see true just, you know, what is love and, and appreciation there. And I, and I think that's something that, you know, with the, with those tips specifically, like you, you're, you're really discussing just an opportunity again that relates back to, to yourself and to truly understanding that though you might be vulnerable to other people at the end of the day, it is about self because even as I've talked about going back to the first episode, like for me, a big part of my vulnerability was, yes, I was crying in the Starbucks with somebody else. And, but what I realized is what that did for me in terms of understanding who I was and how I wanted to move forward. And then the the last thing I'll say before we get any final thoughts from you is um, you, as you were talking, it made me think about, you know, one of the previous guests, DeMarcus Merritt, and he talked about that vulnerability is um, a practice and a process. It's not perfection. And so when you talked about like, you know, this going back to 13 to, you know, you being in your thirties now, like, that some people can look at it like, oh my goodness, like that's almost 20 years. 
And I think that's the thing. It's a it's a journey. It's a practice. It's a process. You know, you've not only just talked about, you know, you and the core of your conversation today has been about the relationship with you and your father, but you've even talked about the lessons that through that you've learned through that and how it's come into the relationship that you have um, with your with your family and with your wife. And so definitely like, you know, those are I hope you all can go back and write those down um, and keep those handy because those are definitely some good tips. So, yeah. All righty. So uh, as we begin to wrap up, do you have any final thoughts, any things you want to promote, any throw out your, your social media info, whatever it is you, you kind of want to wrap up uh, with your thoughts for today, Josh? Yeah. Um, thanks again for having me on. Um, you know, I was, I was, uh, I was pretty nervous when we started this just, uh, j- just because I don't, I didn't want to, um, to push a message that was, uh, not congruent or not, um, uh, not authentic, you know? And so, um, I really appreciate you giving this platform, not just to me, but to a lot of different folks to, to share their, their journey. You know, um, I I don't think we as humans give ourselves the time to reflect back on our journeys as much as we'd like to, uh, a lot of times it's survival mode and it's just in the moment. And it wasn't really until the past couple of days and thinking of this and tonight and different conversations I've had that I really thought about my children as mm-hmm. part of this journey and the way like I directly uh, parent in a way that's not, not completely different than my father, but uh, provides the love and the care and support and the unconditionality of that that I never really felt growing up. And that's not something I would have been able to identify and really almost I mean, I do it consciously, but it, it came from these conversations over the years. Yeah. Um, and you don't get a chance to reflect back on that. So I just appreciate that opportunity. Um, you can find me on the socials, uh, Instagram at Philly 33, um uh facebook josh england twitter uh at jp england i think (laughs) (laughs) um my thoughts are my own uh on all those platforms um but yeah i uh want to say uh up the reds uh go tigers skull vikings uh lebron is the goat and uh, <laughs> and Tom Brady has got to be the goat. Uh, what what he did in, in Tampa Bay this year uh, is insane. Yeah. So, uh, but again, man, I uh, I'm really grateful for for eight years of friendship. And uh, and, and even though we're not obviously as, as close physically or or maybe in communication as we as we were eight years ago, um, I still look to the the things I see you share um, and think back to some of the things we've done together. And I just know that you still have a huge impact in my life and I'm, I'm super grateful to have you as, as part of my life. So 
Yeah. I appreciate you. I appreciate that, man. I definitely appreciate that. Well, everybody, um, there it is. Another episode of Vulnerability uh, Leads to Victory. Um, With this one, I know you're like, whew, I made it to this point. But I think at the end of the day, what I want you to think about is, is that as we've talked about with all the episodes thus far, vulnerability is truly a journey. It is something where, you know, you're going to start and stop. You're going to have different points along the way where you have to pause. But at the end of the day, it is a journey. And with any journey, you have to breathe. And when it comes to breathing, as we always say when we end these podcasts, make sure you exhale before you inhale. Peace and blessings, everybody. One love.